Good morning. morning. I don't know about you, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And with that, I know for if you're in school, you may have finals coming up or papers to write. Maybe at work, you have deadlines to meet, plans to be made, gifts to wrap. And in the midst of this season, we become very busy And sometimes we forget to pause and stop everything we're doing to worship. Now, I'm glad that we were able to gather here this morning to worship our God. And in our text today, we're going to look at what is true worship. And so we've gathered already, we've sang songs, we've said prayers, we've read God's Word, and now we'll proclaim God's Word. And so before we get into our text this morning, let us go before our God one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You with anticipation that we will hear from You this morning through Your Word. So, Father, we ask that you give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the message that you desire for each one of us this morning. Father, help us to put away all distractions, all thoughts, so that we can tune in to what you have to say to us this morning. Father, may we just dedicate this time for you as we worship our God. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer said this, We're here to be worshipers first and workers only second. We take a convert and immediately make a worker out of him. God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should be, learn to be a worshiper And then he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will always have eternity in it. We have a congregation, and I know that we have many of you that enjoy and love serving here at Meadows. And I would see that many of us, and I'd probably put myself in this camp, that often our default could be one of service. So we see this ministry that... We can serve there and there and serve here and then over this way. And so often we flip this around where we become a servant first rather than a worshiper instead of allowing our servanthood come flowing from our worship. And this morning we will look at a young Jewish woman and how she was a worshiper first. And it was through her worship, God used her in incredible ways. And so we'll see that true worship starts with a true knowledge of God. And a true knowledge of God raises proper affections for God, which flows into true worship for God. And true worship starts with a true knowledge of God which raises true affections for God, which flows into true worship of God. 
And so let us now go into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, and learn from Mary and how she worships. So if you haven't already, would you please join me in Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. It is on page 1088. Luke chapter 1, page 1088, and I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible this morning. We're going to look at four or five different ways of how we are to worship, how we are to approach worship. And the first is in verses 47 and 40, sorry, 46 and 47. True worship flows from proper affections. So again, this is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. These words are powerful words. These words are more than just emotions or feelings. These words that Mary is using come through something deep with inside her. They speak to her affections for the Lord. There's a difference between affections and emotions. You see, affections are long-lasting. Emotions are just fleeting. Affections are deep, while emotions can be superficial. Affections are consistent with belief Emotion sometimes overrides belief. Affections always result in action, while emotions often fail to produce action. Affections involve mind, will, and feelings, while emotions often are disconnected from feelings and mind and will. Proper affections are more deep than emotions. Jonathan Edwards observes this, affections are strong inclinations of the soul that are manifested in thinking, feeling, and acting. Affections are the source and motivating power of our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs, and convictions. Affections are firmly held no matter what is happening in our world, no matter what circumstance we're going through, no matter what we're facing, we can always worship God based on the truth That leads to action. And so here, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, declaring that you are going to give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Her world is just turned upside down. And in the middle of hearing this, she is still able to give praise to her God and worship God. See, if we're just looking for an emotional experience, we can just sit at home and watch a movie like The Notebook. But if we have come to worship, may we do so out of proper affections for our God. And these words that Mary uses, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in my God. This word magnifies, suggests an ongoing, continual, natural worship from Mary. 
that her spirit, her soul, her innermost being can't help but worship God for what He has done. And we can worship God truly no matter what circumstances we're in because God doesn't change. His promises don't change. His words don't change. His salvation doesn't change. His will does not change. He always is and is. He always was and is and is to come. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we can always worship our God, no matter where life brings us. John Wesley learned this lesson at a young age. He was, grew up in a Christian home. God had gifted him with intellect About 21 years of age, he went to Oxford University, where he started off, and he was kind of snobbish and sarcastic, and one night he met a man who was poor, and he only had one coat, and lived in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed. John Wesley, jokingly, sarcastically, asked him this, he said, what else do you thank God for? This man smiled, and in the spirit of meekness replied with joy, I thank my God that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a consistent desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley realized that this man knew the true meaning of worship. Many years later, in 1791, John Wesley was 88 years old on his deathbed, And those around him observed that John Wesley learned this lesson on worship. Despite Wesley's extreme weakness, he began singing this hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. No matter what circumstances, no matter if we hit rock bottom, no matter if our life is spinning out control, we can worship God always. As we see here that Mary in her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in her God, in her Savior. And so whether we come worship God privately or corporately, may we not do so as hypocrites who just give lip service, but may we do so with hearts that raise an affection for our Lord. May we do so in truth and in spirit. And so the first thing that we've learned from Mary's praise is worship flows from true affections. True worship flows from proper affections. If we keep going, verse 48, we learn true worship flows from a humble posture. Read with me in verse 48. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. This is Mary's response. She understands who she is. She understands she's just an ordinary Jewish girl engaged to an ordinary Jewish man 
doesn't have any prominence in the Jewish culture. She realizes the depth of her sin and her need for a Savior. And she marvels, she's in awe that God, the living God, would choose her, would bless her to be the woman who would deliver the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Mary was humble. See, a, someone with pride, a proud person, doesn't see the depth of their sin. A proud person doesn't see their need and dependence upon God. A proud person, as we will see in a few verses, ultimately worships himself. But Mary recognizes her state, her unworthiness, and she sees the greatness of God and the mercy and grace He has upon her. J.C. Ryle states this, Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. We must know the depth of our disease in order to appreciate the great physician. So like Mary, do we clearly know the depth of our sin? Do we understand our need for a Savior? And do we approach worship in a humble posture? We see in James, he speaks to this. James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we also see this in the life of Jesus. If you would, Matthew, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, we looked at these verses previously. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about the humble. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. God looks upon the humble. He looks on the lowly. And we'll see in a few verses that He exalts the humble. He exalts the lowly. And we just don't see this in the characters of the Bible, but we see this ultimately in Jesus Christ Himself. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And put a little bookmark here because we'll revisit this at the end of the sermon. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 gives us the perfect illustration and picture of Christ humbling Himself. Paul writes, Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." 
So what posture do we take when we come to worship God? Do we come with pride, with arrogance, or do we come knowing that we need to fully depend upon Him who gives us our every breath, who provides everything that we need? Do we take a humble posture when we worship? So we see proper worship flows, true worship flows from proper affection. True worship flows from a humble posture. Thirdly, we see in verses 49 and 50, true worship flows from a knowledge of God. Back in Luke chapter 1, Mary says this, Because the Mighty One has done great things for me, And His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. If you haven't picked up already, there's a lot of allusion to Old Testament Scripture. Mary is saturated in Scripture. I can't help but think of 1 Samuel 2, 1-10, Hannah's prayer that she is reflecting here. Or in the beginning where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Echoes Psalm 34 too. Or her account of God being her Savior extends all throughout the prophets in the Psalms. Or in our verse right now, that His name is holy is strung throughout all of Old Testament, the law and the prophets and the writings. She has listened. She has memorized Scripture. She she knows the Word. And so because she knows, she has grown in her knowledge of God. And so then when Gabriel comes and declares that she is going to give birth to the Son, she knows her Scripture. She knows that She can trust this message. And she desires to know God. And so from this young woman, we can learn the importance of studying Scripture, of reading Scripture. And not just reading and reading and saying, okay, I must do this, I can't do that. I need to do pray more, I need to do this more. I need to give up whatever this is in my life. And if we go that without realizing and seeing who God is, we miss the point of Scripture. But if you're in a D group, one of the questions that we ask is, what does this say about God? What does this reveal about God? Because we desire to grow in our knowledge of Him. But may we not just grow in our knowledge of Him just for intellectual sake but may we do so so that it impacts our affection, it raises our affections for Him. Because the more we know who God is, the more we understand as He has revealed Himself through Scripture, the more we understand His grace and His mercy, the more we understand His trustworthiness and loving kindness, oh, may our hearts and our affections continue rise to Him, and through that may we just... Desire to worship Him. 
May we be a people that know our God as He has revealed Himself through Scripture and continually growing in our knowledge of Him. Here we see Mary list three things about God, about the Lord. First, in verse 49, she says, Because the Mighty One. This is referenced all throughout the Old Testament. Joshua 22, 22. Israel cried out, saying, The Mighty One, God, the Lord. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 6, His name will be Mighty God. Isaiah 49, 26, All flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Finally, Isaiah 60, 16, Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This shows the power of God, that there is no one else like Him. And in doing so, it's often tied to Him being a Redeemer, being our Savior, as Mary has already previously noted in verse 47. I re- my spirit rejoices in, my, in God, my Savior. And she's recognizing that it is only He who is able to save Because He is the Mighty One. And I believe here that she would believe that this is her Son. That Jesus Christ is the Mighty One. Secondly, she notes that He has done great things and His name is Holy. This stems again from her understanding of the Old Testament all throughout The Old Testament, God declares that He is holy. He is separate. There is no one else like Him. He is pure. There is no evil or wickedness in Him. There is no darkness in God. He is holy. And Mary, in her encounter with Gabriel, the angel, Gabriel also says, Therefore, The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so Mary recognizes that her Son is going to be the Mighty One. Her Son is going to be the Holy One. And the third theological observation she makes is in verse 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. She sees that He is a merciful God. And His mercy is not limited to just her or not just limited to the people of Israel or just to a time, a duration, but is throughout all generations. It's everlasting. will never cease. There's a commentator that wrote this. God's mercy has no relation to time or no limitation in time. Who God loves, He loves to the end. And not only in their end, to their death, but to His end. And in 
His end is that he might love them still, meaning that his mercy will never run out. His love will never dry up. Forever and ever, throughout all eternity, we will continually receive his mercy. These are three great truths from the mouth of Mary, this young Jewish woman. Because she is grounded in Scripture and she knows who her God is. And as she has a knowledge of who God is, her affections for the Lord raises and she worships God. So we see that true worship flows from proper affection. True worship takes a humble posture. True worship has a knowledge of Him. Fourth, true worship flows from a knowledge of what He's doing. In verses 51 through 53, Mary says this, He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The theme that I've picked up here, I don't know if this is correct or the wording is correct. It may be phrased differently, but I've labeled this theme of the first shall be last. And it's this theme that's sprung throughout all Scripture. It's almost as if God is playing a Uno reverse card. Where constantly He's looking at the humble and the lowly and exalting them. He's paying attention to the outcast, to the meek, and giving them food and satisfying their hunger. And so let us look at three examples that Mary gives of the first shall be last. The first is in verse 51. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because the thoughts of their hearts. Their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are puffed up. Their hearts believe that everything that they have earned, they have deserved. Their hearts declare that they don't need God. That they are not in need of a Savior. And ultimately, those who are proud worship not God, but themselves. We see here that by His arm, He is going to scatter the proud. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says this, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So where are our hearts at? goes back to the understanding. Do we come to worship in a humbled posture? The second example that Mary gives is in verse 52. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Once again, he has toppled the mighty, those who are in power, who are in rule, who are reigning over something, who think that they have all the power. And they don't realize 
that the power that they have received is from the mighty one, the one who is more powerful than they will ever be. And what is he going to do? He's going to topple them. And here's the reverse card that instead of not just topple them, but he's going to look at the lowly and exalt the lowly. I told you to bookmark Philippians chapter 2. So if we turn back there, we're going to finish Philippians chapter 2. Should book to mark it myself. There we go. We saw that Christ came to this earth in a humble posture. Verse 9 in Philippians chapter 2 says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the personhood of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, he was exalted. In the same way, he will also exalt the lowly. (coughs) Finally, third example is this. In verse 53, he has satisfied the hungry with with good things and sent the rich away. He's talking... Not just about physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. If we just go back to Luke and flip a few chapters in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, he gives, this is Luke's account of the Beatitudes. Luke chapter 6, verses 21. Jesus says this, Blessed are you who are hungry now, Because you will be filled. But then he also gives a warning in verse 25. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. How will Jesus fill us? How will Jesus satisfy our spiritual hunger? Well, in John chapter 4, I'm sorry, John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. That he himself will satisfy all of our cravings. He will satisfy our hunger. And he has also given us his word. When he was tempted in the wilderness, it says he was hungry. And he responds with, man should not live by bread alone but on every word of God. And so He has given Himself to us to satisfy our spiritual hunger. He has given us His word to satisfy our spiritual hunger. And so do we desire to be in His word? Do we desire to be satisfied by Christ? And as we see the work that God is doing, as we observe how He is being merciful and being just, as we observe Him working in and through us and the people around us, and we see what God is doing, does that lead us to worship? Does that come alongside of one another and praise God for what He is doing? Because this is our God. Does this lead us to worship? 
So true worship has proper, flows from proper affections. True worship takes a humbled posture. True worship has a true knowledge of God. And true worship has a right understanding of what God is doing. And finally, in verses 54 and 55, true worship flows from God Himself. 54, Luke chapter 1, verse 54, He says, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering His mercy, and to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He spoke to our ancestors. God has helped us to remember Him, to remember His mercy, to come alongside us, to help us raise our affections for Him, to help us have a humble posture before Him, to help us reveal Him, understand what it means, or help us to know Him. And this help isn't just help from afar. It's not just as we may send money to missionaries to help missionaries. This word for help is an intimate, it's a present help. It would be not just sending money to missionaries, but it would be going yourself to where the missionaries are at, to being present with the missionaries, to help them. And in the same way, God Himself has come to help us. First and foremost, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But we know that Christ now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and He now also sends His Spirit, who is to be our helper. And He does so, so that we can remember His mercy. So we can remember His work, so we can know who He is. So we can know the depth of our sin and our depravity so that we can have a humble posture before Him. So that our affections rise for Him and so that we can worship Him. And He is faithful. (coughs) So true worship must have proper affections. True worship takes a humble posture. True worship has a true knowledge of God. True worship acknowledges the works of God. And so we do so while relying upon His help. So as we enter into this Christmas season, or as we're in the midst of this Christmas season, even as we go throughout this year, how do we come to worship? Do we worship like Mary? Desiring to give Him all glory and praise. Or do we come distracted? Do we come with pride in our lives? we come just because this is what we always do? Or do we come because we can't help but worship? Our affections just want to burst out of us we are so excited of who our God is. I was talking with a friend earlier this week and he, we were talking about what are we getting our spouses 
And he said this, I like, giving, I like receiving gifts, but there's something more exciting about giving a gift. That I have something that I got my spouse, and I'm so excited, I just couldn't wait to give it to her. And so, two weeks before Christmas, he gave his spouse a Christmas present. Because of there's this affection, there's this excitement that he is able to give this gift that he knows that she will greatly appreciate it. And so in the same way, do we come before our Lord so excited to offer our worship before Him? Because we know He will delight in our worship as we glorify Him. So may we know and understand become worshipers of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to come and worship you. Father, we thank you that you have helped us in this journey as we desire to worship you. Father, I ask that you continue to work in us to mold us, to sanctify us. Father, may we come in a humbled spirit. May we come acknowledging and seeing your greatness and your mercy. And may we come with excitement to worship you. And so, Father, hear our worship and be pleased. In Jesus Christ, amen.